is to educate and inform. It is no substitute for professional care by your doctor or your qualified healthcare professional. Never disregard or delay professional medical advice because of something you've heard on this podcast or in any linked material. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Shirley neither endorses nor opposes any particular opinion discussed on this podcast. The views expressed on this podcast have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, practice, institution, or other entity with which Dr. Shirley may be affiliated. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. This podcast is curated by Dr. Shirley Medea, MD, as the definitive source of holistic wellness through beauty. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast dedicated to fashion, the art of living well, and all things beauty. I'm your host, Dr. Shirley Madare, your purveyor of this definitive source of living a beautiful life. This week's episode is dedicated to truth. And today I am so honored and excited. I think you can even hear it in my voice. I'm like a little girl for some reason. <gasps> I am so excited to be speaking with Grace Harry. And our topic is Truth and Dare, Finding Your Voice and Living Your Legacy. Welcome, Grace, and thank you. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. So, as I was explaining to you, I, I couldn't find much about you, so this is going to be like an exploration session. I love that. I, <laughs> explore me. Explore me. So, you brand yourself as a joy strategist, which yes. I love, and a love alchemist. Brilliant. We all know your services are well, highly, highly needed in today's challenging times. So what led you to create these roles and, and create this space? What you're doing right now. Really? Because where we are in the world right now, our people are so scared. Every single thing that's happening in our world right now is, is, is different levels of fear. And if we could start to feel how good we feel inside, it becomes this thing that you want to share. You want it to be something that you give to people. You want to share that experience with everyone. So the fact that you're excited and giddy oh is exactly <laughs> the point of what I'm doing. Yeah, giddy is definitely Can you imagine important. if everyone felt that way all the time? Yeah, I think uh, we may have different people in office and uh, exactly. different uh, outcomes in the world, but that's another podcast. <laughs> I think that, but I do think what's important about that is 48% of the country are on some version of antidepressant. Yeah. So that tells you, right, that yeah, that's people don't know where to reach for happiness. They don't know where to reach for joy. And even that idea is so ethereal. Yeah. You should be happy. What yeah. the hell does that mean? It actually, exactly. It sounds woo-woo. Like, what is that? It sounds woo-woo, and it sounds something like something you have to do. Right. But when you, the point of what I'm doing is reminding everyone that joy is actually inside you. And that when you find the things that spark you, it just becomes like this giant light that you, yes. you can't even dim it. And you say joy is a birthright. It's your birthright, 100%. Agreed. And not only is our birthright, and we all talk about how babies, they love their self. They love their poop. They can roll in it. They love <laughs> yeah, right. their bodies. They have giant thighs. Yeah. They have no hair, patches right. of hair. Right, exactly. But yet they feel beautiful. That's true. So we had we did come like that. And then it, it's our society, you know, where they... Where the, the most important job in the world is parents, yeah. but it's a job that only amateurs apply. Mm. So there's no way for anyone to not screw it up. That's true. And so everyone born to parents needs some resource, 
and we no longer have your, your, your best friend's mother and your aunt and different people you can re- reach to in a community, right. we have to figure out how we join in circles around each other yes. and remind each other. Very you know true. how to find it. Very true, because it's inside. It's inside. So you aim to help others to find true virtue through a higher spiritual practice. Does religion affect how you help others get into a spiritual mindset? And do you find that some people have a hard time separating uh, religion from spirituality and actually getting into that spiritual space to achieve a higher virtue? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I literally created this idea around yeah. play because it's the only space that gets people out of their heads. Our heads are actually the most dangerous place for us to ever be because our heads are just recycled opinions. That monkey mind. The monkey mind. But it's even more than monkey mind. It's it's The monkey mind in, in gives you this idea that it spins in circles. And that's true. We have this other voice inside our heads, which is important because yes. when we're made to hunt, yes. that voice said, there's a lion. Beware. Yeah. But it doesn't understand the levels and degrees. So even if I were half an hour late and you couldn't reach me on the phone, your, your fight or flight and your yes. sense of hyster- hysteria about yeah. that would be to the level of a lion is coming. Right. So the monkey mind is that. Right. But what this other thing is, this idea of the shoulds, mm-hmm. right? So when you're nine years old and you're wearing green and silver and purple and you yeah. feel like that looks freaking amazing, yeah. <laughs> you don't care I what anyone else thinks because right. you just feel good. Yeah. But then all of a sudden your hormones kick in yeah. and then your parents and other people who at first were happy for you to roll on the floor, like right. you should stand this way, you should wear this thing, this is the way this. you're supposed to behave. So I say all that to say... Religion and spirituality, unfortunately, because they're such a passionate thing for people, people really sink their beliefs into them. They sink their opinions. And then on top of it, they sink their um, validation for how they're living, whether it's actually positive to the people around them or not. Yes. So I work really hard to stay away from any religious talk or spiritual talk even. Uh And, And, you know, do a lot of things that are innate to us and really talk about that okay we could do kundalini yoga for hours and we could yeah. flail our arms around right and that's a spiritual practice right but you can also be six years old and flail your arms around that's true or you could be an animal in nature and you yeah. just start shaking yeah so there's all these things that are just innate in us that are that are come from spiritual because there's no way not to be that's true but i don't want to get in religion because then i don't i'm not i'm not challenging anyone's religion right and I actually think I'm very polyamorous when it comes to religion. Mm-hmm. If you look at everybody's book, yeah. if you look at the Quran and the Torah, you can go through every book that speaks to a metaphysical belief. Yes. We're saying the same thing. Very true. We're saying I love each other, yeah. have faith, yeah, have see faith. the light in everyone. That's right. And so, that, so yeah. I, I love that. So you were raised in BK, Brooklyn in the house. Yes. Is this a strong part of your identity? And if so, why? Well, what is it, is. it? What's so special about Brooklyn? Well, there's no, first of all, when you're from New York, yes. <laughs> it's a, you're built in a natural war with every other borough. <laughs> every it's other It's like borough. a giant <laughs> color war. You're just yeah. born with this. That I may be okay being friends with you from Queens, but yeah. we might not tell everybody. <laughs> right, that's right. Um, so I think being a young kid, especially being someone who is mixed, yes. and in the 70s, I just was born someone who was always other. Yeah. Right? Yeah. How you identify, what are you? Yes. And it was not as easy to be mixed in the 70s as it is now. Now yeah. it's, if you're not mixed, it's kind of not cool. <laughs> and by the way, it's a joke because there's right. no way in the world that, that no one's not mixed. Exactly. There's no way as much as people have traveled and right. it's conquered we and explored. Are. Right. Yeah. So I, th- I think early on, Brooklyn became an identity of 
of a community of people that were a little more open. Mm-hmm. And so I love that about Brooklyn. Yeah. And it's funny, there's no way everyone does this. I've gone to other parts of the world and yes. I'm like, oh, this place is like Brooklyn. The oh, Bay right. Area is like Brooklyn. <laughs> right. Melbourne versus right. Sydney is like Sydney Brooklyn. Is like, <laughs> like, like there's, you know, yeah. what is that? I think like there's parts of South Africa that are more like Brooklyn. Right. Finding those those people everywhere. Finding the Brooklyn in everyone. Brooklyn. But I think that being from Brooklyn has made me really excited to meet all kinds of people. Yeah. Because Brooklyn really is a melting pot. Yes. It's the largest borough. Is it? It is. It's the largest borough. Oh, I think you I know, know this for a fact. Okay, you know this for a fact. You're a Brooklyn girl. Okay, <laughs> okay. I won't, I won't debate it. It is. So I understand you've had a couple, if not a few, previous careers, one in music and one in catering. Um, what have those industries taught you that serve you today? Everything. Uh, a good friend of mine named Mickey Agarwal, who I love, she just wrote this book called Disrupt Her. And she said, I ordered that. Yes, she's Mickey's amazing. Okay. And she says this thing in the book. And, you know, I'm a 10th grade high school, high school dropout. My mom moved to Haiti when I was 17, and mm-hmm. I've lived on my own. And I always had a lot of insecurity about that. And all my friends about were being in, a high school dropout. Yes. And all my friends were in college. I would get their reading lists so I could read it. And if they were at parties with them when they were home, I didn't look like I, I felt like I wasn't smart. Um, but actually, in hindsight, I felt, feel like all the different things I've done in my life yes. have really led me to not just um, this, what I'm doing now with Hooky Day. My yes. mother, even this morning, was laughing. She said, you see, you got in trouble for playing hooky, but this has done you well for you. <laughs> I love it. But we'll I think more than that, day. yeah, exactly. More than that, I think um, I've done everything from necessity. You know, I, my mother was 17. We were, it was just her and I. My father was in jail, he was a heroin addict, and I had to figure out how to have money, first of all. I've done everything, like organize people's closets, I was a mother's helper. Wow. Um, and then a good friend of mine's mother was a chef. So I started catering with them, and my mother moved, and I loved that. Yes. And I ended up going, I was a chef at the Cosby Show. I worked at the, on the last season. Wow. I started my own catering company. Oh my goodness. And when I was there, I started to panic. I'm 19 years old. I have no skills. You were 19 while yes. you were the head of catering for the Cosby Show. I was their chef. For the, for not for the whole, for the cast yes. and the writers. That's a big writers. deal. Yes, That's it was major. really exciting. But yeah. I started to panic. Like, what am I going to do after this? I'm old. Oh. Sorry, <laughs> I'm old and I'm washed up. And what am I going to do? 19. Yeah, this, I mean, this is how I've always been. Um, and so I started walking around on set. Like, what could I do without lots of school yes and no disrespect to any publicists yes but it felt like the one thing that i could do and at the same time i had a lot of friends in the music industry Ah. who were becoming artists like i had a friend who started a group called trap called quest and i have another friend who started a group called de la soul and leaders of the new school and these all i lived on my own in soho and they all lived outer borough so they would all stay in my house and they're recording their first albums so i would do things for them there i would pair photographers or if you look at the first Tribe Called Quest album my friend from high from growing up did the illustration wow. or on the first Ayla album the photography so I always was just kind of in, in being someone who was coming from a family that was Russian and Irish and, and Jewish on wow. this side and black American on this side my references were so wide it was like Pink Floyd the Wall to Quadrophenia to you know early hip-hop and Cool Herc and excited about all of it your life was your education my life was my education but so feeling like a freak all my life as a kid all of a sudden fly your freak flag fly like a super superhero now because now i have these really creative people who could speak music and art in a way that i didn't realize was valuable so now i'm i'm immersed in the scene so i say all that to say when i found publicity i went back to 
people I know, like I knew this guy named Dante Ross, who was an A&R person, and Russell Simmons, who just started a record label, and Andre Harrell, who just started Uptown Records. Wow. And I said, can you introduce me to the head of publicity? Good for you. And I went there and did, I was a publicity intern for a few months at MCA Records. Yes. And you weren't washed up at 19. Yeah, all my friends thought it was crazy. I was leaving my career to then be an assistant, but I was like, I'm 19. Like, it's not that big a deal. I didn't even know what an internship was called. So I just said, I'll work for free. You can just get me a sandwich or something. And then they offered me a job there. And then Barry Weiss, who I helped with Tribe Called Quest just early on, he said, What are you doing there? Come back and work here. And so I started doing this thing. They made a position for me where I would work with, because all these rappers were coming from a community, um, like a culture. Mm-hmm. And before internet, it was hard to understand that. And pop music was different because disco was big, but yes. you could feel that. Yeah. But you couldn't really assign what a connection was to certain artists until you saw their world. So I just had a very interesting perspective on, well, let's see where Tribe Called Quest is from. Let's, yeah. you know, like uh, Rakim is from Wine Dance. Right. You don't know what Wine Dance is. You should right. see that community. Right. So starting this kind of idea of bringing culture and helping artists translate their music into a visual for the fan. Yes. And that I did that for years. And I ended up taking art and video and making a department of create, creative services. Oh, my gosh. And I did that at Jive for six years. Then I took that and I did it. I merged Geffen and MCA creative departments. Wow. Then I left and started my own production company. And I helped photographers become directors. So Anthony Mandler and Vashti Kola and all these artists. And then it started doing all these videos. Um, it was really fun. Oh, my God. And then Island Def Jam, L.A. Reid called and said, we really need you to come here. And I was like, I'm definitely not doing that <laughs> because I'm creative and you're not. Oh, okay. And I don't want that like to be that sucked. Corporate. It just yeah. was like, right. It was so bleh. And I had resigned <laughs> from Geffen with no job and started my production company. So I was like, I don't need to do this. And then he was so persistent that I thought, let me leave this to the universe. And I put out there everything I would need to do it. And when he said yes to everything, I thought, this is a sign. And it was great. It was a wonderful opportunity. It yes. was Working before at record labels, I'm a very not political person. Yes. I like all people. Yeah. I find all people fascinating. Yes. And I never worked at a label that you hear are treacherous. So I thought, you know what? This is much more about people because I'd always wanted... I, so back up a little before that. Yes. When I was at record labels, I was always... I was a, I was had very mixed feelings about how these artists became artists, but mm-hmm. they became role models. They didn't yeah. want to become role models. Yeah, many and whether we like it or not, it should be Doctors Without Borders who are role models, but unfortunately, yeah. it's celebrities. Yeah. So I always worked to have some kind of nonprofit project all the time at the same time that made artists really understand. That in the 80s, when AIDS was becoming an epidemic, yes. there was this organization called Red Hot, and they did an album called Red Hot in Rio. They did a few albums. Mm. So I went to the head, John Carlin, and said, do you understand what's happening in the black community? So I convinced him to let me produce an album for wow. you know communities of color in, yes. in New York, yes. and got Wu Tang Clan and Dela and all these artists to donate their time for free, yes. and MTV to do a project around it. Wow, and then this way was my sneaky way to get people like <laughs> artists to have the real information to galvanize them, to right? Them. And also so that they're speaking to people. So I loved that. My, yeah. And so when I went to on to Island Def Jam, that was a, what I felt like. Oh, that's my gift. Mm. It's not so much working with artists and music. Yes, it's helping people find the humanity through their art. Because that's really what's important, and art is supposed to do that. I mean, you think about you know Da Vinci and Mona Lisa. Why are these things famous? They're famous because they're there's mythology in them, right? And you you see yourself in a place within them that makes you feel not judged and judging, 
but right. expansive. And no matter how much time passes by, you still feel that's something right. when you look at that art. So that's what music should be. Yeah. So that's really been my my thing. And part then, of your journey. Part of my journey. <laughs> and then going to Island Def Jam was really fun. Yeah. I worked with such amazing people. This one, Jay Z, was still the president oh. of Def Jam. Who oh, I didn't and you know, know that. Jay is like. I can't even say enough about he is a prophet. Yeah. Just one of the most amazing people I- I've ever I mean, worked with in my life. Yeah. Just not even iconic. Yeah. Just an actually spiritually channeled really human being. Interesting. Like that doesn't come um, through through the rap songs. <laughs> it doesn't come through the rap songs, but if you pay attention mm-hmm. to what he doesn't talk about. Ah. That's probably what it is. So even if you look at his because not there's nothing against um press around philanthropy, right? Because it does inspire the people to do it. Absolutely. But when you give completely without any cause yeah. and without anything, and yeah. you give to that level, and you always have, yes. people don't even know. He has yeah. a school in Brooklyn, like all these things. Wow. Anyway, the point is, I learned so much through so many different people in yes. that environment. Yes. And um, I then, at the time, there was an artist who came. He signed another artist. I met that artist, started dating, married him, managed his career, and that's what I did the last eight years. So when I was getting a divorce, I was like, what the hell happened to me? How did I get here? I'm getting divorced for the third time. I did my own eat, pray, love. I did everything. I mean everything. Yes. From therapy to church to ayahuasca. Like, you name it. Oh, my gosh. So much to talk about. We're going to have you back for part 10. (laughs) I did it. Again, life experiences. Yes. I am all about experiential change. That's my thing. Like, I'm like... Sky, I skydived. I mean, I did everything. I was like, I'm going to find it. Yeah. <laughs> and at the end, I got really good at my story. Mm. I'm codependent. My father's there. Blah, blah. Mm, mm, and I realized mm. we're more afraid of success than failure. Interesting. As a world. Yeah. And that's when I turned to joy. I was like, I don't feel good. Yeah. And then when I really found what felt good, I yeah. need everyone to feel this good. I And love started it. on my like adventure. And of what? course, it was Jasper who was the first one to be like, I get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now we're she here. does have that energy. She's, <laughs> She's amazing. She was and everyone else was unfortunately that I was pitching to cuz I was pitching a bunch of things I wrote a book. Yes. They all were going to like the low hanging fruit story. Uh, My ex-husband, of course. The music industry, but she was the first one to understand that's not the point. Right. The point is that everyone's a star. Literally. I love that. And everyone has an amazing story to tell, and everyone has something to teach everyone. I love that. I find everyone so fascinating because what happens in this world is you know how, like, film is 34 frames per second? Yeah. So if you think about film in that way, we live our life every 34. We, we get to, so we miss everything. Like, you're looking at this art, but we miss that there's yeah. a shadow and there's yeah. lines. And right. That, but that's what we do with each other. Yes. But when you stop and you're like, I'm going to get that those 34 in there, yeah. you learn something every, every time. time. It's, it's amazing. So it sounds, I mean, oh my gosh, I am, what, I'm learning so much. <laughs> and it sounds as if you have had or have been blessed with some amazing angels in oh, your life. Ama- every day. Guides, angels, every mentors. Day. Incredible ancestors. I talk to them all. You talk to them all. And speaking- I'm like, we're all going to the podcast. <laughs> and I hope they're happy. Yeah, they are. Speaking of angels, you have two children. I have five children. Oh, you have five children. That goes to show you. I really don't know. Much I pushed about. two out. You pushed two out. Yes. But I but I was gifted three in marriages, and you don't divorce okay. kids. That's right. You Last weekend, I was in LA with four of the five. Wonderful. And they're they're so. I mean, I've learned something about myself through each through one. them. Mm-hmm. So That's the incredible. oldest is 24. Yes. And the youngest is 10. And I was just going to ask you, what has motherhood taught you 
about life. It's taught me that you can only be as full of shit as you want your kids to be. <laughs> True. <laughs> Number one. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And more than that, it's like, yeah. you, there's no such thing as do as you say. It's They do as you do. Yeah. It's like, this is the thing people don't get. Yes. It's like, I don't want you to smoke cigarettes. Right. Well, it, well, you know what? I'm sorry. That's probably going to happen. Right. And it's not, I mean, again, I'm not, it's not an anti-smokers. It's just that right. if you have, there's intention with what you want. And that's literally why I started my Eat, Pray, Love journey, because I said, I can't show my children that I can't have a partnership. Right. Because partnership is important. Yeah. Partnership's not important in any traditional sense. Right. Whatever is a partnership that supports... However you define it. This amazing, amazing man who has done, like, one of the most amazing men in this world that we all know, said something to me one day that rocked my world. He said, I was in marriage number three, and he said, Grace, do you think you're the gardener or the orchid? And I was like, what? He said, every relationship is a gardener and an orchid. And I said, well, I'm the gardener, of course, because I'm always the behind the scenes. Yes. On the t-. He said, no, you're the orchid. He said, because the best relationships flip-flop back and forth. You're the gardener, you're the orchid, you're the gardener, you're the orchid. But being raised by a teenager and a, you know two teenagers, I went right into go mode. I'm That's taking right. care, I'm working. So I was right. taught early that to take care of people is how I get love. Yes. So I always, I create, you know, we, we all have this survival thing that we create that doesn't serve us as adults, but we hold on to it so yeah, tight. Yeah. And so that became like the North Star for me. Wow, the gardener and the orchid. And I need to teach that to my kids in real time. Yeah. So, yeah. I think we uh, share that a, a number of things, but one that you just mentioned that taking care of people yeah. is how you get love and receive love. That's right. And I don't know if that has anything to do with me going into plastic surgery, but yeah, I, I hold on to that as well. Yeah, um, but I, I love people and I love taking care of people. But you're right, gardener versus And just the just to be clear, service is important. Like when you yes. actually love someone, you yeah. are in service of yes, that love. Very true. But when you when you sell yourself out in that journey, is yeah. where is the fine line? Yeah. And I think that's what I had to learn, like maybe last year. You've just listened to part one of Forever Fab podcast. Please stay tuned for part two coming up next.